you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2 this morning, as we continue really in the worship of the Lord through the reading of his word and, and, uh, and looking at it, thinking about it, asking him to open our own hearts so that we not only will see what it says, but also live it. Uh, in our in our very lives, starting with the thirteenth verse this morning. After last week's message, in looking at the healing of the paralytic that was let down through the roof to the feet of Jesus, he now picks up in verse thirteen, Mark, letting us know who this Son of God is. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a wow section. In many ways. First of all, it's a a wow section Because after teaching the word, as Jesus did at every turn, you see that we're seeing the Mark presents him that way. He's a teacher. He's he's preaching and teaching the gospel everywhere he goes. In the the midst of doing that, as as he's walking along, he sees one of the absolutely most despised people in that particular community. Levi, the tax collector. Tax collectors were thought of with more disdain than any of us think of the IRS. And, and, and for some people, that's a lot of disdain. Um, nothing compared to how they looked at, at Levi. Because the way that they did the taxes in, in, as, as, a, you know, as part of the Roman Empire, a kingdom within the Roman Empire is... The Romans would take one of you know some of their own people and have them do the, the collecting of the taxes that would in, eventually end up in Rome, and then the tax collectors had the had the right to get as much out of the people as they could and keep what the people don't owe Rome keep for themselves, and so some of these tax collectors were really good at it and they lived really lavish lifestyles. We don't know much about Levi's lifestyle prior to this, but. If he was like the rest of the tax collectors, he was hated because they knew all of his friends, all the people in in town knew exactly what he was doing. Not only was he working for the worst people he could possibly be working for, the Romans, 
he was also getting money out of them that they didn't really have to pay. But only he really knew how much. They hated him. If you were surprised that Jesus would pick fishermen as disciples, it's an even a more amazing surprise that he would pick Levi, who's also known as Matthew, the, the author of the Gospel of Matthew. And then, to top it off, not only does he ask Matthew to follow him, which Matthew almost inexplicably does, leaves his post, leaves, leaves his table. Now remember, he didn't have to keep certain hours. He was in charge of collecting the taxes however he could, however he would. So he had the freedom you know, to get up and leave, which he did. That was amazing. But then Jesus ends up at his house, which is apparently kind of like a party house. When, when Matthew had dinner, he really had dinner. And all of his buddies friends, other tax collectors, and other people just classified by Mark as sinners. People that good Jews did not hang out with. And there was Jesus right in the middle of it. Well, there were some good people there too. These teachers of the law who were Pharisees. And they were appalled at the fact that Jesus and his followers were hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners. Because that just isn't something that they did. They didn't want to get their dirt on them. They were totally disassociated with all of that realm of people. And so, rather than asking Jesus, sometimes they did directly, sometimes they just thought things, as, as in the last story, But this time they literally asked his disciples, what's the deal here? What's he doing? Does he know who he's, I mean, he obviously knows who these people are. Why is he hanging out with them? Before the disciples could answer, and who knows what they would have answered. Maybe they didn't, maybe they were clueless on it too. But Jesus interrupted before they could and makes this great statement. It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There is the big wow. He was right in the middle of the group that he wanted to be in the middle of. Because these people were well aware of their illness. They were even called, as a class of people, they were called the sinners. They were well aware where they stood in their their religious society. They knew exactly what those Pharisees were thinking about them when they passed them in the street. They knew exactly what it meant when the Pharisees would turn their back on them as they pass by. They knew, they knew what that was all about. They were well aware of their sin. And Jesus was right there in the middle of them. To let them know 
that there was hope for people even like them. They had heard the word. I mean, part of what was going on with this dinner was they had heard the word that Levi had been called by Jesus to follow him, to become a disciple. That means to, to have his own rabbi. He, this, is, this is off limits for the tax collectors. They don't have rabbis. Rabbis hate them. But this new rabbi, this new rabbi who, who's speaking and, pre, and, and preaching the word all the time, in, in a way that they've never experienced before with authority, and then also healing people of, of illnesses and casting out demons. And then even the last thing we've heard about, he's even forgiving people of their sins. This is a whole new thing. And so what Jesus did with the paralytic, when those men dropped him down into the into the room right in front of Jesus because there wasn't... A, room for them to get him in there remember what jesus told him son your sins are forgiven jesus is still doing that except this time he's doing it with a whole group of them the people known as the sinners he's not he's not too good for them now he's good he if there's good he's good But he's not too good. He's ultimately good. He's essentially good. Everything about him is good, but he's not too good. Because he's come to lend his goodness to those who need it. To those who recognize their position. Not necessarily in society, oh, they were well aware of that. But also who recognize their position before God. They need help. And by calling Levi, Jesus was invited right in to the guts of this sinful society. And here he lets them know loud and clear what he's doing in there. He's not just in there to enjoy the, the company, although I'm sure he is. These are people that he made. Did anybody enjoy the creation this morning on, their, on your way here? Some beautiful stuff out there, isn't there? It's a pretty great artist who came up with all that and then executed it. And then, and then it has the, the ability to kind of put it to bed for a while and then bring it back. Well, we're in the bring it back stage right now. What a glorious drive it was coming in here. He was, he was among his creation. These, these sinners, they were his creation. He made them. And he was enjoying being with them. But he wasn't there just to enjoy the company. He was there to let them know that the doctor was in. And he was ready to do some healing. Oh, and these folks weren't, weren't lame. And these folks weren't, you know, lepers. Uh, these folks weren't demon-possessed. These folks were just Sinners. And even and then and remember, there's a, there's a the higher the highest level of sinner in their view, the tax collectors. They got their own designation. It wasn't just sinners; it was sinners and tax collectors, the worst of those. And Jesus is there 
to set up practice right in the middle of all these people. And that offended these righteous people. And remember when Jesus uses the word in this statement, he did not come to call the righteous. He's not talking about real righteous people. He's talking about self-righteous people. Because real righteous people recognize where their righteousness comes from. We heard from one of them this morning from Psalm 51. The psalmist, the shepherd, the king, the father, David. David would have fit well into that crowd that Jesus was with that day at Levi's house. Because David understood himself. David understood that any righteousness that he had was coming from God himself. None that he possessed. And David said that so well, so beautifully in Psalm 51, didn't he? Do you know when David wrote that psalm? Sometime soon after what took place in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we won't turn to it right now, but the story is this. David had an eye problem. No, he could see fine, but he's just looking at the wrong things. And so one night, he's looking over his city, and he saw a woman doing something he shouldn't be watching. And rather than turning his head, he enjoyed And as he enjoyed, he thought, you know what? I'm the king. I can have what I want. And sends one of his guys down to get her. And she came and they sinned. And he compounded his sin by having her husband killed. And not only him, but a few others probably that were with him in battle. You know, one of the the worst things that's ever happened. I mean, there are a lot of things that, that are terrible. This is a terrible thing for a king to command that some of his troops be killed for his own benefit. And that's what he did. In Second Samuel 12, tells the story of the prophet Nathan coming to David after all this took place. He told the story about a king, a rich man who had a, had a guest come to his house And to prepare for the guest, the rich man, the king, went to one of his servants who had one lamb that was a pet to his children, had that lamb slaughtered for the feast with with his guest. Instead of taking one of his hundreds or thousands of lambs, he took the one lamb that belonged to his servant and his family. And David gets so mad as, as Nathan's telling the story, saying stuff like, ah, that guy should be killed. And Nathan just simply pointed his finger at David and said, you are the man. And David, who by this time has already written many psalms of praise to God, who has already declared his position of, of faith,
in Yahweh, the God of Israel, his belief in the Messiah, the coming Savior. He's clear, he's so clear in, in, in everything that he said in all of his proclamations, all of his psalms. That same David who committed this heinous, these not, not one, but these series of heinous crimes against God and against his country and against Uriah's family. He says, you are the man. And rather than being the self-righteous king that he could have been and excuse himself from the standard of sin that God had laid out, he could have said, no, that doesn't apply to me. And he could have had Nathan killed or silenced. But instead, like some of these sinners that Jesus was hanging around at Levi's house, David took that accusation, that statement from Nathan, he took it to heart. And that finger that Nathan pointed him went straight through him and pierced him and dropped him, if not literally, at least figuratively, figuratively to his knees. And he wrote Psalm 51. Now, he was so desperate in the psalm, and, and some of you probably were wondering, wait a minute, he, he said in that psalm, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I didn't think that was possible. Well, thank the Lord it's not possible today. He doesn't take his Holy Spirit from those of us who believe. But still in the Old Testament days, when he gave his spirit not to every believer, but he gave his spirit to those particular prophets or kings that, that he deemed needed his particular strength, sometimes, as in the case of Saul, the king before David, he would take the Holy Spirit away from him. And David pleaded with God, please don't do that. I still want to be your man. Did you catch that as the psalm was ending? He said, then I will teach transgressors your way. He wasn't giving up his ministry because he understood that as a sinner, as a sick person, he needed a doctor. And he knew which doctor to turn to. And he confessed his sin before the Lord. And he was forgiven of his sin. Oh, there were still consequences because of his sin. The baby that was conceived that night with Bathsheba died. And other consequences happened as a result as you read through David's life. But David was restored in his relationship with Yahweh because he saw himself as he really was. Even though righteous because of his faith in God, he needed to be restored. And he was because he confessed his sin to the Lord. Now, some people think, well, that God is just too merciful on, on that on that guy. I mean, he deserved worse than that. And if that's your thought, you're right. He did deserve worse than that. But when we have that thought, then we need to turn inward and we need to look at ourselves 
And we say, aren't we glad that God is merciful to David? Aren't we glad that Jesus hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors and offered them forgiveness? Because that is us. Some of us might be here this morning and and are like some of the tax collectors and sinners that were at the party at the dinner that night. Haven't haven't understood that they can be made right with God yet. And Jesus was going to take care of that in his conversations, in his teaching. He was letting them know. Maybe some of us are like that today. And we, we still haven't understood that we need Jesus to forgive us of our sins. To take us out of that sinner category. Out of that tax collector category, that despised category. And that the only way out of that is by recognizing ourselves as the sinners that we are and going to the doctor, going to the Savior, and and admitting, as David did, our need for a Savior and receiving what Jesus did for us on the cross. Again, that line from the song, he looked on him as he died on that cross and forgave me, was merciful to me and the rest of those sinners that turned to him that day at Levi's house and people like David, even though righteous, not self-righteous, received his righteousness by faith from the Lord Jesus himself. So maybe you haven't been made righteous yet. I want to encourage you this morning. Recognize that you are very much like Levi's friends. You're surrounded by a bunch of tax collectors and sinners who have the same need that you do of a Savior. Many of us, however, have already been made righteous by God. Not self-righteous, not thinking that what we've done with our lives and in our lives and for him in our lives is good enough to have our sins forgiven because we're so good and because we're so faithful. No, we've been made righteous because we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus. And he's made the promise that the moment we put our trust in him, the moment we believe in him, he makes us the righteousness of God. It's an amazing thing. But it's not a self-righteousness. It's not a righteousness that we've deserved. It's not a righteousness that we've earned somehow by being good musicians or or interpreters or preachers or teachers or parents or doers of good deeds. But we've been made righteous because we trust in Jesus. And when he died on the cross, he promised to give every one of us who believe in him his righteousness. That's why Paul was able to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him who knew no sin, that's speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what's happened to us. That's what happened to the people in, in Levi's party who put their trust in Jesus, who believed in him, like Levi did like Andrew and Peter did, like James and John did, as he's gathering up his crew, and also many others who were nameless that crowded into Matthew's house that day. And so like those people at Matthew's party, at Matthew's dinner, 
you also, even if you haven't put your trust in Christ yet, you can today. He's made the offer. Through his resurrection from the dead and the ministry of his Holy Spirit that he sends to live in everyone who believes, he is saving people today just like he was in the first century as Mark is giving the account. He's just as much present in our party here today as he was at the party in Levi's house by the power and person of his Holy Spirit. He is saving people today just like he did on that day. He came today just like he came that day to call sinners to righteousness. Not people who think they're righteous because they've done a great job, because they've raised a wonderful family, because they've given a lot of money, because they've attended church so regularly and faithfully. Not for any of those reasons, although those are all wonderful things to do. But the truly righteous among us are those who recognize that the only righteousness that matters is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God that he imputes, that he puts into every single one of us who believe. That's the righteousness that we need to stand before God. That's the righteousness that we need to give us the confidence that we have an eternal future with him in his glory. If we're counting on anything that we've done to somehow give us the right to be with him forever, then we're going to be sorely disappointed on that day. Because the only ones that will be received into glory are those whose righteousness comes from Jesus and not themselves. Because our own righteousness, as good as it might seem comparing it to the, to the righteousness of others, Our own righteousness to God is like filthy, nasty rags of the worst sort, meaningless, valueless. But the righteousness of God in Christ is of of eternal value. And that's the righteousness that he was declaring, that he was demonstrating to that group of sinners and tax collectors at Levi's house. Oh, Levi was just getting started. He had no idea that one day he was going to be one of the writers of one of the four amazing gospel stories of the, of the ministry and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people were going to be talking about him and reading about him and being encouraged by him for eons, even eternity. He had no idea what, what, what he was stepping into when he followed Jesus. And neither do we. We have no idea. We have no idea what he will do with a sinner like us. No idea. But we need to recognize who we are. And so, those of us who are already believers, who are already righteous in Christ, we need to continue to recognize that we are just like David. We have still have this sin nature that we're fighting against. And when we recognize that it's gotten a foothold on us or in us somehow, as it did in David that day, that we need to remember the promises of God. We need to remember the command of God to confess our sins and to ask him to help us 
to turn away from whatever that is or was that we were doing or, or not doing that we were supposed to be doing. This morning, and, and I, want, I want to encourage you, we have um, Bible study classes for all ages at 9.30. I want to encourage you to be a part of those. Pick one of those, go to different ones or whatever. But this morning, right in the middle of our Bible study, one of the guys in the class quotes from Proverbs 21.4 and just kicked me, not physically, but he somehow knew that I've stopped honking at bad drivers. Now I just give them a good stare down as I go by. And Proverbs 21.4 talks about haughty eyes. And, you know, this individual in the class didn't know he was doing that to me. He wasn't. The Word of God was. Particularly on the hospitality highway. Um, don't cuss at him. Don't use fingers that I shouldn't use. Don't honk. But I've got some self righteous eyes. And more. And what we do. With this passage, remember, we're, we're seeing who Jesus is as Mark explains him and describes him and presents him. We recognize that Jesus came for us if we recognize our need for him. Oh, I didn't lose, I didn't lose my salvation by, the, by those haughty eyes. But I broke that fellowship that I enjoy with him by thinking more highly of myself than I should in condemning somebody else as I shouldn't. And that, that fellowship can be restored immediately because of the promise of God that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written by another unlikely writer of the word of God, the apostle John, one of those fishermen. In 1 John 1 9. So that's what we do with this, followers of Jesus. We remember that he's still hanging out with sinners. He's still calling sinners to righteousness. He's still calling sinners to repentance. Even those of us who are already righteous in him, he's calling us to restoration, whatever the circumstance might be. But he's also calling us to the same ministry that he had and to be among the sinners and the tax collectors so that they also can find out that Jesus came for them. He might also use us to help a couple of self-righteous people along the way because Jesus did that too. He came for them too. You find that out when he, in John chapter 3 when he speaks to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees. He had, he had plenty to share with them when they were ready to listen, when they were ready to drop their righteousness, their self-righteousness, and really look into it. He, he came to save them as well. But remember, 
if Jesus came to hang out with the tax collectors and sinners, then he would have us do the same. Because it's through us that they can find out. Just like the, just like the paralytic was put in position to be healed by Jesus, to be forgiven by Jesus, because he had some friends who brought him. God will use us in the same way. Let them know. Let them know that there is hope in Jesus Christ because he will forgive them of their sins. Let them know. Most of them don't realize it. They know they're sinners, but most of them don't realize the terrible consequences of their sin. They don't realize the judgment that comes at the end of a life that's that's lived in sin. And they can find out from us that there's healing available, that there's forgiveness available, that it comes through Jesus. That's who he is, Mark said. He's the one who didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call the sinners. Praise his name. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you so much for being the three-in-one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your multiple ministries in our lives. And we thank you for the demonstration of your love that day. Not only when you called Levi, but when you went to his house and met with his people. Thank you for meeting with us. We're in the same boat. We have the same needs. And we thank you that you came to meet them. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your amazing mercy to David and to us. Use us, we pray. Heal us. Convict us. Help us. But use us, we pray. And Father, for any who are here this morning who are still hanging on to their own righteousness, help them to see that it is of no value to them. But the, but the righteousness of Jesus is all they need. And Father, help them to believe your word. If they believe in Jesus, they will receive that righteousness and be forgiven of all their sins and given the gift of eternal life. Help them to believe today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.